And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the one Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Natai Gauthier. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. Well, good weekend, everybody, and welcome to Season 19 of The Pipeline Show. That's right, brand new intro, and that means it's a new season. It is, uh, as I'm speaking with you right now, August 18th, and we are kicking off the 19th year that The Pipeline Show has been in operation. We go all the way back to February 6th of 2006. Dean Millard and I, first uh, time we were on the air together, at uh, the old Team 1260 Studios in Edmonton and the evolution of this show. That first year, and I, when I say year, it was, we did February, March, April, May. Did we go all the way to the draft? I think we did. Uh, June, so we did about five, five and a half months. I think we went a couple weeks after that. And it was basically an Oilers prospect show, an Edmonton Oilers prospect show. We started, I mean, we're in Edmonton. And that was the the original manifestation of uh, the Pipeline Show. Then that summer, we took five or six weeks off, and we put our heads together, and we were like, okay, just doing Oiler Prospects is uh, scratching the surface of what we could actually do with this show. And so we began going after prospects everywhere. And really, so I think it was season two where we found our groove and really started to get things going. And it is amazing to think that now in uh, 2023 and 2024, which is uh, the second half of season 19, that the show is still going and as strong as it is. And a lot of that is due to you, the patron. Patreon.com slash The Pipeline Show. You, the listener, are the ones that drive this program. I really appreciate the support. And if you want to get involved, go to Patreon.com slash The Pipeline Show. The program, of course, is brought to you by our sponsors, including our title sponsor. That is Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can't win friends with salad. It's the best beef jerky you've ever had. With three locations in the Edmonton area, in Leduc, in Spruce Grove, and at the kiosk in West Edmonton Mall. Try some today. You can go to their website, wilhockbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, they will ship it to you. So... Save you some uh, gas money and uh, save you from making that drive into Alberta just to get your beef jerky. Have three guests for you coming up uh, that will join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. I will get to that guest list momentarily, but uh, of course, we always start with some news and notes. It'll be brief. I mean, let's be honest, it's still August. But here is what's happened over the last couple of weeks and uh, some of the updated news stories that uh, have caught my attention. Uh, in the OHL, 
Big loss for the Guelph Storm as Cam Allen, defenseman, drafted by the Washington Capitals this past uh, NHL draft. Not that long ago, he was the OHL Rookie of the Year. Didn't have a great season last year, and that's why he was available in the fifth round for Washington. Well, he is out for the first half of this upcoming season after having a shoulder surgery. So that's a significant blow to the Guelph Storm. Preseason action in the queue already. As a matter of fact, just last night there were four games. Valdor winning at home against Ryan Noranda. Gatineau on the road beat Drummondville 5-4. Victoriaville 6-5 winners against Sherbrooke. And uh, the defending champs, the Quebec Ramparts, doubling up Shakutami 4-2. In the Western Hockey League, a couple of things. A bunch of transactions, which I'll touch on. Uh, also, a new look to the website. The OHL, I think the Q also got a bit of a touch-up. The OHL's website has always been very similar to the WHL. Uh, but at least the New Look OHL website has a roster page. Uh, right now, you can't find rosters on the WHL's website, so that's an oversight. And it's uh, it's not operating all that well right now. It's mid-August, fingers crossed, as uh, camps open up in a couple of weeks. Uh, fingers crossed that uh, things will be running a lot more smoothly in the very near future. All right, since August, some trades in the uh, Western Hockey League three of them involving the Calgary Hitmen. They pick up Jason Spazaka from the Victoria Royals. That cost them a fourth-round pick. And then they traded Brandon Wynott to Tri-City for a fifth and Trey Patterson to Seattle for a sixth. So Calgary busy and doing it without a general manager right now as uh, the team and uh, Jeff Chenoweth agreed to part ways. And I thought they had announced somebody to replace Chenoweth. Uh, but I might have been getting that confused with uh, Don McGilvery, who was added as an assistant coach. But something to watch for there with the Hitmen as uh, camps open up here in a couple of weeks. A fairly significant move between Portland and Swift Current. Josh Davies, a sixth-round pick of the Florida Panthers, on the move to Portland along with uh, Tyson Uremko. In exchange, the Broncos get Swift Current native uh, Ryan McCleary. 20-year-old who's spent the last number of years with the Winterhawks. He's a big defenseman, six foot two. McCleary had, I think, I think it was 31 points last year, uh, whereas Josh Davies had 34. So they're not really giving up a whole lot of offense. A little bit of age, though. Davies, 19, he could be back with Portland again as a 20-year-old next season. The Broncos also picking up a bunch of draft picks in this trade. A guaranteed fourth-round pick in 2024, but then there are four conditional picks included one of which is a second-round pick in uh, 2025, and I'm assuming that's conditional on whether Josh Davies is back as an overage player for the Winterhawks in the fall of 2024. Uh, one more trade to mention in the dub, and this one puzzled me a little bit. I think it's a great pickup for Lethbridge. They trade a fourth-rounder to Spokane for a seventh-round pick, and Cooper Jazowski, who is 18 years old, he's a former second-round pick, just getting into uh, his wheelhouse here. Edmonton product, not a big guy, but uh, put up 34-ish points, I believe, last season on a team that struggled for offense for the most part. But that seems like a very low-risk uh, trade for Lethbridge to only give up a fourth-rounder for a guy who was taken in the second round just a couple of years ago. Moving on to the Alberta Junior Hockey League, kind of. It's actually uh, with the AJHL champion Brooks Bandits, who are over in Sweden right now playing in a exhibition tournament. Remember the old Junior Club World Cup that was held in Russia for a number of years? Well, obviously that's not going on, so this one's popped up. 
It's in Sweden with eight different teams from eight different countries. Brooks representing Canada. They have played teams from Denmark, Norway, and Hungary thus far. Beat all of them, including a 10-2 drubbing of uh, the club from Denmark. So as I uh, tweeted or exited, I don't know what we're saying when we post something on what used to be Twitter. The more things change, the more they stay the same as uh, Brooks is uh, over in Europe but still pounding their opposition. Well, it gets a little tougher for them as uh, this weekend they will play semifinal against the host team from Faryastad. That game goes on Saturday. A couple of uh, newsworthy items to mention in the NCAA. One with uh, incoming freshman Alex Bump, who was headed to Vermont, but with uh, coach Todd Woodcroft being uh, let go, that always sort of opens up the door for, okay, were our incoming freshmen going to change their mind and go somewhere else because the coach that they committed to no longer there. Uh, That is the case for Alex Bump, drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers, was uh, one of the top high schoolers in his NHL draft year, which was 2022. He played in the USHL last year uh, for a couple of different teams. Anyway, he has decided to go to Western Michigan to join the Broncos. So it seems like the Broncos picking up a pretty good player there. And as College Hockey News reports, uh, that that addition goes along with uh, Sam Colangelo, who transfers from Northeastern. Ethan Phillips from Boston University, and Matteo Constantini from North Dakota. So, Western Michigan making some news in the offseason. And lastly, the Dutchman of Union College, no longer the Dutchman. This was announced a couple of weeks ago, but Union has changed its nickname to the Garnet Chargers. Now, in this case, Garnet does not refer to the gemstone. It refers to the color, which is basically maroon, and that has been Union's color. So think of it more as like the Union Red Chargers. So there are the Chargers with an adjective, a color adjective before that. So Union goes from being the Dutchman to the Garnet Chargers, which is a bit of a mouthful. And we'll take a little bit to get used to. We'll get to the guest list in a second. Want to remind you, Pro Stock Hockey is your source for authentic Pro Stock Hockey equipment, whether it's gloves or sticks or tape, helmets, it's all there. Go to ProStockHockey.com. Just announced on their Twitter feed, goalie equipment from the New Jersey Devils is now live. Pads, gloves, blockers, and more. That's at ProStockHockey.com. Also, welcome back to Performance Paving. For a long time when we were on radio, they were our title sponsor. Well, Performance Paving back in the fold. If you have work to be done in the Edmonton area, whether it's uh, paving or I know when I lived in Devon, they came and they uh, put up a chain link fence in my backyard. So many different uh, outdoor projects that they can do for you, whether it's for your home or business. I know quite often they'll be doing parking lots, things like that. Check out performancepaving.com for more information on that. And welcome back. But of course, the guest list is brought to you by our friends at Troubled Monk. If you happen to be passing through Red Deer this summer, stop by Troubled Monk, go into the tap room. You can arrange to have a tour, but while you're there, grab a couple of uh, pints and some grub right in the the tap room. Probably the most popular beverage that they have to offer in the summer is the Troubled Tea. It's great in the summer, whether it's uh, on the patio, in your backyard, or at a lake. But they have a lot more to offer. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop and go to your local Alberta liquor store. And if they don't have it in stock for you, ask them for it because they can get it. 
the premiere episode of season 19 begins like this. Mike Sneed, the executive director of College Hockey, Inc., is our first guest. We're going to talk a lot about uh, the new programs joining Division One this year, some that might be on the way, although he can't get specific about a lot of them. Most of them, in fact, just one that he mentions uh, that it's in the works. But a variety of topics that we cover with Mike. And then from that mic, we go to another mic. It's Mike Stubbs. He is the longtime play-by-play man for the mighty London Knights who are gearing up for another contending season. We'll get an OHL preview from Mike. And we will end things off with uh, veteran broadcaster Pete Labardius, who I wanted to get on because there are very few people who have the passion for junior hockey that Peter does. And with all the uh, changes that we've seen over the last year or two, I wanted to get his perspective. And uh, I'll say this, he's pretty fired up. I think you're going to find that segment pretty interesting. So three guests for you. We're going to start with uh, some college hockey talk. Mike Snee from College Hockey Inc. He's up first. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Don Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Now he goes cross ice, center ice to Holloway. Drop pass between his legs, Weisbach refeeds Holloway open, score! <laughs> One game, fantastic play. Holloway, Weisbach, back to Holloway. 1 1, wow! And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hello there. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. It is the season debut for season 19. And uh, my first guest this week, well, we're going to be talking college hockey. So, you know, that is brought to you by our good friends at College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player, you have one in your family, there are things you need to know. that you can or can't do uh, to maintain your NCAA eligibility. Any other questions you might have about the College Hockey Path, uh, College Hockey Inc., great resource for that. Uh, Check out their website or get in contact with uh, the fine folks there like Mike Snee, who is my guest. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm good, Guy. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Uh, Excited for a new year and exciting for uh, for college hockey fans, too, because I think this is going to be a really fun year. There's lots to talk about. Uh, including new teams, and uh, it just seems like the popularity uh, of college hockey is just continuing to grow, which is fantastic, obviously. Uh, but, I mean, over the last two or three years, you get out of the COVID mess, and there's new franchises popping franchises, new programs popping up at different schools, and uh, some schools coming back, and uh, more of the same here this year. It's, it just seems like it's an exciting time for college hockey. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I don't want to uh, wish away summer by any means, but honestly, I can't wait for the college hockey season to start. I feel that way every year, but I share your your belief that this year just seems to have even a, a few more added storylines than the typical year, both off the ice and, and, and on the ice. And so um, uh, I can't wait for late September, early October to get here. Well, let's let's start maybe talking about the new franchises. And I mean, it's not that long ago. Long Island just came into the into the uh, the circuit a couple of years back. Lindenwood last year. 
Stonehill was kind of dipping their toe into it last year, but they're full-time uh, this season. Uh, and then we've got new program in Augustana in uh, in South Dakota and uh, the return of Robert Morris. Uh, I mean, where do you start? Uh, what's the process for a school to get into Division One college hockey? Maybe we'll start with that. And, and uh, I don't know if you have specific uh, examples for those programs that I'm listed or not. Sure, and I'll, I'll forewarn you, I think I'm going to talk for a while now. Because, <laughs> That's right. uh, that was Go a ahead. lot. <laughs> now, for, first, for a school to add hockey um, or elevate their hockey, it, it really, it's not like a professional league or a junior league where there's, you know, a limited number of franchises and then you have to appeal and, and be voted in and, and, and so on. Um, you can simply decide that you want to sponsor ice hockey as one of your sports, no different than if you want to sponsor volleyball or softball or uh, whatever the sport might be. Um, so, and then there's different ways of going about it. You brought up a school like Stonehill um, that elevated their athletics from division two to division one. And they had had a hockey team. So their hockey team went with them as they elevated all of their athletics, basketball, um, volleyball, everything. Um, their hockey team became Division One as well. So now they're they're uh, whatever word you want to use. They're uh, um, growing into it, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of Division One opponents they're playing and and getting having their program ramp up to Division One. Augustana is entirely different. Augustana is a Division Two school, but because there isn't Division Two hockey um, offered. Uh, formally by the NCAA. The NCAA only offers a championship at Division Three and Division One. Yeah. A Division Two school has the opportunity to play uh, hockey at the Division One level if they want to. And Augustana, which didn't have any kind of ice hockey before, they didn't have club hockey, they didn't have any kind of ice hockey, they are um, elevating their or, or adding hockey from scratch building a, uh, I believe it's a $65 million arena that will be opening this year. Mm-hmm. And literally like they're an expansion team and starting off new. Um, so that's how Lindenwood is doing it. And then, as you mentioned, a few other, you know, Long Island added recently, Lindenwood was new last year. Uh, they play uh, in the um, in the beautiful practice facility of the St. Louis Blues, the new practice facility there. So there's a number of different ways to get it done. Um, but I think that you're seeing the increase in the number of schools either adding it or interested in adding it for a couple of reasons. One is I think people just see the popularity of college hockey and they, they want to be involved. Um, so that's a big part of it. And then the second one is, and a lot of credit has to go to the national hockey league and the national hockey league players association. A few years back, college hockey Inc entered it into a, a partnership with, with uh, the league and the players association to fund feasibility studies for any school that wants to consider adding hockey and the support from everybody on down there, uh, Commissioner Bettman, Bill Daly, Kevin Westgarth, who is our primary contact working on those feasibility studies. And that really has, has, has proven to be a pretty important, um, I guess, first domino in, in getting these to happen. And we're excited. We think there will be more to come. Uh, schools that we're working with right now, uh, we can't name the schools. It's done confidentially, but we think that uh, that we're not done. That this is a this is a new trend. And then before I, I stop talking here, maybe this is you're going to end the show when I'm done here. I've been <laughs> rambling so long. But um, one school that we're really excited about and is a very unique situation is Tennessee State University. Yeah, uh, which is it's an HBCU in Nashville. HBCU is a historically black college or university. There's 107 of these schools in the United States. Uh, mostly concentrated in the South, um, that um, 
And as best we can tell, none of these 107 schools have ever had any type of hockey program. You know, NCAA hockey, club hockey, intramural hockey, as best we can tell. Tennessee State, uh, after completing a feasibility study paid for by the NHL and the NHLPA, working with the National Predators, who have been wonderful in this, um, and then fi- we finally, after two and a half years, I mean, I shouldn't say finally, I mean, that's just how long it takes, um, they, they announced at the NHL draft back in June in Nashville that they would be adding club hockey to begin with, uh, which is wonderful just by itself. That's great news. And then with some aspirations of eventually elevating that club hockey team to NCAA varsity status. In the beginning, it will just be a men's club hockey program. They hope to quickly add women's club hockey program. And then in the future, they hope to have men's and women's NCAA Division One varsity hockey and I can tell that was just an exciting project, and it was a privilege for uh, myself and my college hockey and colleagues to be part of that project. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I when that was announced uh, at the draft, as you were mentioning, were there a lot of people who were surprised by that announcement? Uh, it, that one, I mentioned some of these schools that we work with are done confidentially, which is understandable. Tennessee State actually did this publicly. Um, they've been talking about it in the media and, and to the important you know, people at their school, the supporters at their school, students, alumni. Um, so that one had actually had publicity since we started the study or, or, um, or finished the study two and a half years ago. So I, I think um, surprise might be a bit of the wrong word because people were aware of it, but mm-hmm. I think there was this like, man, it's really happening type of thing where perhaps uh, when they did the study, there were there were maybe some people that thought it wouldn't ha- wouldn't happen, but um, there was I'll tell you there was a lot of excitement and the media coverage of it was uh, much more than I expected, and then just the far-reaching uh, traditional media coverage, social media coverage, inquiries we've received from all over the place, certainly all over uh, the U.S., but even all over Canada and some inquiries from Europe. But I think the ones from Canada are most noteworthy. So it's, it's just exciting that there are people out there that, uh, you know, now have that opportunity. If that's something that they want to pursue, go to a, a, a wonderful HBCU right in Nashville, which you can't pick a better spot to be, I think. And, um, and then just also, I, I just want to emphasize the support uh, of the National Predators. I don't think it happens without the Predators. Um, the leadership there as, as Deshaun Henry and Bill Wickett and Matt Harden, they were instrumental in making it happen. And then it really, you know, wouldn't happen if their athletics director, doc, Dr. Mickey Allen, I think he saw the opportunity and more importantly saw the need. And, um, and now uh, starting in the fall of 2024, there will be club hockey at Tennessee state. That's fantastic. Uh, I want to jump back to Augustana for a minute. Uh, they begin this year full time and right away in the CCHA conference. Uh, whereas uh, it seems like, Every other program that started up over the last decade or, or so has been independent for a little while. I know we got big news with Arizona State coming up for not this season, but next season. Uh, how does Augustana go immediately right into a conference like that? I mean, great for them, but how does that happen? I think it was a combination of, um, I mean, all of these schools adding hockey are, are wonderful and they're great stories and they require uh, kind of uh, some visionary leadership. Um, Augustana from the start, they have just done everything right. Um, they raised a lot of money. They, uh, they're building their first class, just ready to go to Division One building 3,000 seats right on campus. All of the training, uh, all of the, the training um, facility and everything that a aspiring NCAA Division One hockey player would need. Um, so I think 
when you went and took a, if you went there and took a, um, an, a site visit, you would have been blown away. Um, they, their geographic location is ideal. They are in very close proximity to um, three current CCHA uh, programs in, in uh, Minnesota State, which is in Mankato, St. Thomas, which is in St. Paul, and Bemidji State. Um, so it made sense geographically. Yeah. And uh, Sioux Falls is just a, it's a wonderful mid-sized community. This is the first NCAA hockey program of any type in, in, uh, in South Dakota. So I think they really brought a lot um, to the conference. And, and um, I mean, I don't want to speak on behalf of the CCHA and their leadership, um, but my guess is they were like, if we don't do it, another conference is going to do it. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. I don't know for certain. I, I believe they're playing a bit of an uh, of a, a abbreviated type schedule this year as they, as they uh, I don't want to say ease into Division One, but in their first year. Um, but, um, yeah, membership right away. They, they were voted in a year ago. So uh, really exciting to see that happen. And there's a lot of other schools out there that profile a lot like Augustana that I think will be following this. And when they see a full house and the impact that having, having hockey as a signature sport at their school, it, it uh, hopefully we're able to keep this trend going by finding those other Augustanas. Well, and you mentioned that there are other programs that you're talking to confidentially, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste your time by asking you to, you know, tell <laughs> me you. who those are. Uh, how far away might those be though? Like, could you have another announcement or two this for you know in the next year or two? Yeah, we're hopeful. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. I will say um, personally, I've learned. Um, um, what would, how would I say it? The first school that we worked with when we started this project was Arizona State, and that happened. If I do my math correctly here, in about six or seven months, hmm. went from like the the first meeting to announcing that the team that they'd be adding and they'd be adding NCAA Division One hockey. What they did is they elevated their club team to NCAA Division One status. So that that certainly excited all of us. That you know maybe it just takes some cold calling to schools and some identifying schools where it would really make a lot of sense. So that really uh, uh, caused some momentum and some excitement, motivation and, uh, for this project in general. But maybe it also sent a bit of a false timeline that, oh, yeah, this can happen in six months. And so now the schools that we've worked with have all been measured in years, not in months. Uh, it just takes takes a while and, and frequently because there's a significant amount of money that needs to be raised. Um, so um, I do think that a few of the schools that we've been working with for quite a while now um, are hopefully going to move forward with it in the next year or so um, and, uh, and that there's more to come. Um, it's, it's not easy to do. It's not like adding, if you want to add lacrosse, it might just mean restriping an existing field. And, right so on. If you, if you want to add hockey, it really requires a significant investment. Um, so, um, so there, there have been schools we've worked with that were interested. And in the end, they, their conclusion was we just can't do it because of the cost of, of, of adding it. So um, they don't all come to fruition, but uh, I'm feeling pretty good about some of the ones that we're working with right now. Well, you mentioned Arizona State and uh, the big news with them joining the NCH seed uh, again, not for this coming season, but the year after. And I think that's great that they finally find a home. They had that sort of uh, uh, honorary status with the Big Ten for a year. Uh, and I think that went pretty well. But uh, what does it mean to have uh, the Sun Devils finally landing an actual conference? Oh, I think for the uh, other eight schools in the NCHC, it means a, uh, a weekend they're going to circle on their 
on their favorite school <laughs> schedule and, <laughs> you know, make a road trip out of it. Uh, nothing against the other towns in the NCHC. Uh, I live near most of them, but um, headed out to watch your favorite school play the Sun Devils in January or February is a pretty appealing thing. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I think there's that first. <laughs> but, um, you know, what, what Greg Powers and his staff have built out in Tempe in, in pretty short order, you know, I mean, it, what, it, they just started play less than 10 years ago. And we all know that their facility was not NCAA Division One caliber for the first, you know, until they opened Mullet Arena last year. Um, what they did was was pretty amazing. Uh, they made an NCAA tournament. They would have made two NCAA tournaments because uh, if the COVID year hadn't canceled the tournament. Um, so they've really put together a great product on the ice. And if you're out there and you just see all the students walking around in hockey jerseys, uh, there's a feel and a vibe for it. What I also think is cool is I know what happens out in New England, and I went to an Arizona State game at the University of Minnesota. You're seeing their alumni that – uh, don't live in Arizona. In this case, they live in, in Minnesota or the alumni that live out in New England or wherever. They get a following on the road, which is pretty cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just they're a great example of what hockey can do at a school like that. We, you know, we'll call them Power Five, those high-profile, nationally-branded schools like Arizona State and also like Penn State did a few years prior to them. Um, so I think having them now get in, into a conference – and as much as they certainly made it go by being an independent, it's a, it's easier establishing yourself when you're in a conference. You get a schedule, you get a balance of home games and road games, you get to play, uh, you know, you get to play games into March, and then you get, you get to play for not only a conference championship, regular season championship, but a conference tournament championship. So I think it does provide a lot more meaning, uh, meaningfulness to your schedule. So I'm excited to see what Arizona State's going to do as a conference member, knowing how well they did as an independent program. Mike Snee from College Hockey Inc. is my guest. We're uh, looking ahead to the coming uh, college hockey season. Uh, Robert Morris returning to the fold this year after, what's it been, two, three, maybe even more than that? Three seasons, I believe. They were, uh, I believe that was, um, what was that, May of 21 when everybody was shocked. So uh, I think they were maybe off two seasons or so. But yeah, two or three seasons of, you know, they were dropped. They were literally dropped on life support and, um, Derek Schooley and others there just wouldn't let it go and, and did a tremendous job in, in, in letting everybody know like uh, Robert Morris is going to be less of a university without their men's and women's hockey programs. And, and they just rallied the supporters uh, maybe in an odd way. Robert Morris hockey is going to be even more supported now than they were prior because this happened, but um, they will be returning to the ice, both of their programs this year. And, um, and uh, not a new program, but just as much of a reason to celebrate as the new programs. Yeah, that's fantastic to have them back. I did have Derek Schooley on uh, this show uh, about, well, in the spring sometime to talk about that. Uh, and I know he's uh, looking forward to it as well. Alabama-Huntsville, they went sideways as well and, and uh, haven't been on the ice for a long time. Any chance or are you hearing anything about progress there? Much like Robert Morris, I know there was a groundswell of uh, support early on, but I haven't heard much uh, lately. Any traction? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't really have an answer. I don't know. Um, their uh, schools aren't by any means required to work with College Hockey Inc., so there certainly could be something um, cooking down there, and we're just not part of it. Hmm. Um, some of the school, we had, we didn't have really anything to do with Long Island when they added Division One hockey. They did all that on their own, So, um, and we weren't, we weren't fully aware of it until – 
till it's closer to it happening. Um, so I, I can't really answer that with a yes or no or okay. point to anything. I hope so. Um, it, was, it was pretty cool when they were playing and they had a nice following and had, had a good history. Um, but uh, you'd have to inquire with the school. All right, fair enough. And I, I know Long Island, when that was announced, it seemed like insanity because they were doing it so quickly and at a time when, I mean, it was right in the thick of the COVID mess. Has it been as successful as as everybody hoped it would be or even more so? Yeah, I think so. I, uh, yeah, I think what Coach Riley and his crew down there have done is is impressive um, to bring in State Division One hockey to Long Island. And there's such a, a rich history of hockey on Long Island, obviously the Islanders, but a number of high-end players, NHL players, NCAA players that play out there that uh, there probably should have been a school on Long Island offering hockey long before Long Island did, offering NCAA Division One hockey, I should say. Yeah, I would say it's been a success. I mean, they haven't won a national championship yet, but I don't think that's the only way to measure success. Sure. All right. Well, all these new programs and returning programs, they need players. And I know a lot of teams are using uh, the or programs are using the transfer portal. Uh, and I know that's kind of been a, a hot button topic for the last two or three years and extra uh, little juice to that conversation because of the five year uh, commitments uh, some guys have been able to, or five years of eligibility some guys have been able to take advantage of because of covid has the transfer portal been more beneficial to teams or players is it equal for both sides uh, in that regard and do you see it changing or becoming less of a thing uh, in the near future because uh once those players that were playing during covid have that five years uh, that that goes away right Yes, it does. That goes away after any any student athlete playing hockey or any sport. It, it wasn't just a hockey thing. In the um, twenty twenty hyphen twenty one, so the two zero hyphen two one academic year, they received an extra year of eligibility. So that fifth year of eligibility. So we still have student athletes that are playing that fifth year. So it's it's um, creating a bit of a logjam if you want to use that term. There's just there's 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 more. Um, more student athletes with eligibility than there is normally. So I think when, when we get through that, um, then uh, that, that will, that will create less activity in the transfer portal because you do see a number of the transfers are players that are transferring after four years at one institution and then going and playing their fifth year at a different institution. So that goes away. Um, the, the, the transfer portal itself and the one-time transfer rule, you know, that's, that's not going away. That, and again, I, I want to remind people that are very close to hockey. That's not just a hockey um, rule. That is an NCAA athletics rule. It affects every NCAA sport, okay. football, basketball. Okay, so that's not just a hockey hockey rule. Um, I certainly don't see it going away. Uh, it might change to some degree as as everybody learns how to work through it, but um, but it's it will be there. My guess is is that as it settles in and just becomes customary, um, that uh, that it'll there'll be less activity. Um, but I think it's just part of college hockey. It's part of college athletics moving forward, and um, and it will just need to be adjusted to. Perhaps I read a really good article quite a while ago that compared it to. Um, when baseball introduced free agency back in the mid seventies. And this article had some quotes that, that were said back then that were perhaps pretty, uh, pretty negative about the future of, of baseball and, and sports if free agency happened and free agency happened. It's here. It's a big part of 
of professional sports, professional hockey, and everybody adjusted and lives with it. And, uh, you know, I would argue that professional athletics is as popular today as it's ever been. So I don't think it's going to uh, negatively impact uh, how much we care about college hockey and college athletics, but it's already changed it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that'll probably just continue. Uh, lastly, I wanted to ask you about, uh, I always have a, a Canadian slant to things when I'm talking college hockey on this show. Uh, you're in Canada right now. You're in Winnipeg. You're uh, doing the cross country tour uh, and uh, answering a lot of questions, having information sessions for players and their families. Pretty general question, but how important is Canada for the NCAA hockey in terms of recruitment? Well, they're 27% of NCAA Division One men's players. Uh, I believe it's 32% of NCAA Division uh, One women's players. Um, the uh, past couple of years, I believe, uh, like Owen Power was the number one overall pick. Uh, was that two years ago now, or was that yeah. three years ago? I think two. I'm, it's three years ago, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, two summers ago, and then you know, this year Adam Fantilli went very high as a uh, won the Hobie Baker Award. Um, and then just this week, uh, Kale McCarr was uh, put on the cover of uh, of uh, NHL 24, the video game. So. Uh, uh, in many different ways, you're just seeing Canadians that play NCAA hockey impact our game by winning the Hobie Baker Award, by being uh, critical players on on you know almost every team and and on championship teams, and then moving on to the NHL and having tremendous success, the highest level of success. I mean, we'll look at Kale McCarr already at 24, and I thought he'd done it all already with Norris Trophy and Conn Smythe and. And uh, Stanley Cup, I totally forgot he had not yet been on the cover of NHL 24. So now <laughs> I guess he has done everything. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. And so uh, it, it's just vitally important. And I'll even add to it. It's not just Canada. It's, it's all of the world, uh, um, Europe. There were 135 European men playing NCAA Division One men's hockey this year. And I've been with college hockey now 11 years, so uh, I've been paying a lot of attention for, well, longer than that, but certainly for the past 11 years. When I started, there were 37 Mm. um, uh, European men playing NCAA Division I hockey. And the amount of inquiries that we get from players and their parents from Europe has, uh, you know, I haven't really been keeping a tally sheet, but it feels like it's more than quadrupled um, since we've started. So I just feel that, that the word is out people realize how good NCA hockey is from a hockey standpoint. Um, it's not just for, you know, the, the, the late bloomer or the undersized defenseman. It's actually for everybody, whether you're going to be the NHL number one overall pick or you're undrafted, you know, it's, it, it's great for everybody from a hockey standpoint. And then, and we haven't talked about this yet and, and I should talk about it more often, but the off ice piece of it, the academic piece of it, the graduation rate for young, uh, for men that play in say hockey is 92% for women that play in say hockey, it's 98%. So if you come here, you might end up becoming Kale McCarr. Or you, or you might not, you know, you might not move on to a professional hockey career, but 92% of the men and 98% of the women that play it will earn their degree while doing it. And that's not to mention all of the other, the life experience stuff, you stretch your mind, you stretch your comfort zone. Um, you're put in a position where you have to be more than a hockey player, you know, in, in an environment when you're, when you're in university or college. Um, and then just the experience. And that's something that I take away when I, and I've had conversations with people that played college hockey, even people that played college hockey, then they played a lot of NHL hockey is there's really no hockey 
before or after NHL hockey, junior hockey, youth hockey, whatever it might be, that's like college hockey where you have bands, alumni, student sections um, playing, playing in front of the student section, the same people that you're going to go to class with during the week, Mm -hmm. just the environment and the experience of playing college hockey. So our organization, we tend to talk so much about the get better as a hockey player and make the NHL almost to a point where we we should tone that down a bit. And we should talk more about this is the most fun you're ever going to have playing hockey. And it's pretty likely you're going to get a university degree out of it when it's all said and done. So I think those things are just more revealed now and and more people in Canada and more people in Europe are aware of it. And that's, uh, so to answer your question, I don't think we, well, I don't, I want to say, I don't think, I know we don't care where you're from. Um, if, if you're a high performing aspirational hockey player and, you know, and, and you, um, you're interested in, in, in pursuing a degree, um, it doesn't matter if you're from Winnipeg, um, Minnesota, Finland, or wherever. Um, we just, we're, we believe that it's the best spot to be for a, uh, a young aspirational hockey player between the ages of 18 and 23 or 24. You mentioned 92% of, for the men, uh, graduating with uh, college degrees. Just out of curiosity, how does that compare to other sports? Uh, it's in the top five every year, and occasionally it's number one. This past year, uh, I believe it was number four, I think skiing, fencing and swimming medicine if i remember correctly uh they all uh, have high performing athletes uh, but you know even even the sports that are at 92 percent are are pretty high it's um being a student athlete uh, not just being a hockey player but being a student athlete in any sport it really does enhance your education it makes you more committed to that there's also resources that are available that um, that assist you in making sure that you're um, you're having success in the classroom, um, but but when you line all of the sports up, men's and women's hockey, if not at the top, it's always very near the top. I'm curious when you're talking to the European uh, players and their families, do, do they ask different questions than the North American families do? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, haven't been asked that before. Yeah, they do. I think what what some of the challenges are, and and um, there's there's uh, the amateurism eligibility you know, questions. And we by no means are, uh, we just stick talking about college hockey. We don't talk mm-hmm. about other levels of hockey, but there are other, you know, very viable, wonderful hockey options um, out there. But some of those, if you, if you do it, you lose your eligibility right. for NCAA hockey and you, and you can do it pretty young. You know, you can do it as young as 15 years old where you, you uh, lose your NCAA eligibility. And that's certainly the case with some of the European professional leagues. They just have a different model over there for how their young players play their hockey and a 16 or 17 year old, especially a very, very high performing 16 or 17 year old can find himself on a, um, on a professional team and not even fully aware of it, or that's not probably the right way to say it, but just not aware of the implications of doing that. Right. And next thing you know, their NCA eligibility has either been compromised or even eliminated. Um, so there are questions about that and that can vary depending upon are you from you know Finland or Sweden? Are you from Czechia or from Slovakia or Switzerland? You know, so uh, th- there is there's a little bit that you need to be aware of, but um, but it's not as difficult as it seems. Um, and then for a Canadian that might have that question, it's it's even it's a lot easier to understand if you're a Canadian and and you're you're a 15 year old and you're like you know I I, I kind of like what Kale McCarty did. I wanna I wanna play NCAA hockey. 
um, it's pretty easy to say to tell that person and, and his or her parents what they can and can't do to re- retain their eligibility. Lastly, Mike, uh, I've asked you all the questions. Is there anything that you want to uh, uh, talk about about this coming season? Any highlight moments or things on the schedule that you're really looking forward to? I, I'm not off the top of my head. I forget where the Frozen Four is this year. Uh, the Frozen Four this year is in St. Paul. So okay. um, I can tell you that there is a, a faction of our fans that to say, how about Tampa every year? Because <laughs> last year it was in Tampa. Uh, going to Tampa in early April is not a bad thing. It was uh, it was probably 88 and sunny every single day. And there's the arena right downtown and all the hotels are right around it. And it's just wonderful. And I feel like I can say this because I'm from uh, Minnesota and my office is in downtown St. Paul. My office is in the Minnesota Wild Offices. So um, I'm, I'm saying this about the place I live. I don't think it's going to be 88 every day this year during the frozen four. So, um, so I'm going to say the excitement's going to be just in the, in the rich, uh, history of hockey and specifically college hockey that's in St. Paul this year. That's going to make up for the lack of beach time Great. that people will have at this year's frozen four. So we'll be at St. Paul this year. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm always most excited, uh, just because I, we get involved in it, in the new programs. Um, so I'm really, I'm really excited for my first trip out to um, Augustana and, and see that new building and, and see them play. And then equally, just because um, I know how hard Derek Schooley and others at Robert Morris worked to make that happen. And, and you know, how, how, how long the past two years must have felt to them, especially last year watching everybody else play and you're not playing. Um, so I'm pretty pumped up for when they hit the ice for the first time. The women here in September and the men in October—they deserve that moment, and I'm I'm pretty pumped up for that. So uh, just excited in general for the college hockey season, but uh, but those those two teams and those two schools in particular, I can't wait to see them uh, play for the first time, and in Augustana's case, and then play for the first time in a few years in Robert Morris's case. Mike, this has been terrific. I really appreciate your time. We went a long time, but uh, it was awesome stuff. Uh, I know you got a session tonight in Winnipeg. You're going to be touring across uh, Canada, uh, stopping in Edmonton uh, in November. Uh, if people have questions about those events or about anything else, uh, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, best thing is go to our website. There's all sorts of information on our website, uh, which is collegehockeyinc.com. And if, uh, if you don't find what you're looking for, our, our uh, contact information is easily found on our, um, on our uh, website. If you want to send a quick email right now, it's always just info at collegehockeyinc.com. And then definitely follow us on social media. I think Twitter is probably our best, uh, where, where we get our messaging out best, and that's at College Hockey. Great stuff, Mike, as always, man. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate it. There's Mike Snee, the executive director of College Hockey Inc. Again, collegehockeyinc.com. Great resource for everything college hockey related. And if there are some questions that you have, if you can't attend one of those information sessions that the, that they're putting on, they do it throughout the off season. And uh, now he's telling me that they're coming to Edmonton, Short Park, really, if you're in this area, in uh, November. I believe he said November 15th, 16th. Let me double check because I wrote it down. In case I am uh, available, I would love to attend. Uh, yes, the 15th in Sherwood Park, 15th of November. But if you haven't had a chance to go check it out, I recommend that you do. It's terrific. Frozen Four in St. Paul this year. The only Frozen Four that I've ever been able to attend in person happened to be in St. Paul back in 2011 with uh, Minnesota Duluth winning in overtime. 
wildly entertaining game. Really had a fun tournament. It was a great experience for me, uh, being it was the first and only a Frozen Four that I've been to. Been to uh, North Dakota since then to take in a weekend series. That was North Dakota and uh, Minnesota Duluth, as a matter of fact. Uh, but overdue to get down to watch some college hockey once again. In fact, I had a conversation with uh, my daughter who was talking about going to visit a friend of hers in the Massachusetts area uh, during this season. It happened to be in February, which is also Beanpot Month. So I'm not sure if that trip is still happening for her or not, but uh, might be something that I could uh, finagle for myself a little bit. I would love to get down to a Beanpot. All right, that was a great way to start Season 19. Let's keep it going as we uh, head to the Ontario Hockey League and the uh, longtime voice of the mighty London Knights. That is Mike Stubbs, and he is up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Quentin Musty from the Sudbury Wolves. For David going into the near circle, trailing Musty high slot. Let's it fly, he scores! Quentin Musty's second of the game, a 2-0 Wolves. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Score. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Yo, stop your grinning and drop your linen. Okay, back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, season 19 debut episode, first uh, episode of the new year, and uh, we're gonna head out to the Ontario Hockey League. And seems like a, a perennial favorite out of the OHL every year would be the London Knights, and I don't think this year is any different. Uh, to find out for sure, Mike Stubbs, the play-by-play man for the uh, Knights. Uh, welcome back, Mike. How are things? Things are great. How's the summer? Uh, over, <laughs> or just about over. <laughs> well, you know, in terms of uh, the uh, the the hockey team, the OHL or the WHL's Edmonton Oil Kings, it was a longer summer than usual. The last place team in the in the WHL, so uh, there hasn't been hockey here to watch uh, for a long time at the WHL level. So we're chomping at the bit to get back in the rink. But overall, summer seems like it was uh, fairly short. How about for you? Yeah, you know what? It has been. It's It's been a very wet, wet, wet summer in southern Ontario. So I know that we've had different conditions everywhere else. But yeah, it's it's green and lush here. And looking, you know, looking like the temperature's coming down a little bit. So I think that's going to send a lot of people into hockey rinks. That's a good thing. A little confusing how it can be wet. It's been rainy here as well. And yet... So many forest fires, so, so much smoke in the air as well. It seems like uh, one of those should count out the other one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been an absolutely wild summer from that standpoint. So here's hoping that the arrival of hockey, the arrival of winter can put some of those out and uh, keep them out. All right, well, I started things off by saying that the Knights are uh, almost perennial uh, favorites or contenders at least uh, in the OHL. And correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, you're returning just about every player from last year's roster uh, that's a good thing in junior hockey, and it seems like the the Knights are uh, building up once again to take another pretty strong run at a national a league championship. Yeah, it's pretty wild 
to think that, but I think there's going to be a lot of talk about that over the first part of this season, whereas last year there wasn't really that conversation where the Knights weren't being talked about among teams that might have a run in them. And I don't think the Peterborough Peets in the Ontario Hockey League were being talked about in that way either. Mm -hmm. And it was those two teams who were in the OHL Championship Series. So the Knights do, in fact, return an awful lot of people. They do lose a goaltender who was a goaltender of the year in Brett Brochu. He graduated as an overage player. He missed the last half of the playoffs due to an injury. And they also graduate two other overagers who were keys to this team and Sean McGurn and George Diaco. And they'll graduate Logan Mayhew, who will go off and play in the Montreal Canadiens organization. Other than that, Guy, everybody is basically eligible to come back. There will be some overage decisions to make, but a team that fell two wins shy of heading to the Memorial Cup will have that many faces back and some new ones to add as well. One of the big additions over the summer was Casper Haltonen, who's a second-round pick of the San Jose Sharks, who is expected to play in London this upcoming season. Well, I'm going to touch on the guys who aren't back again. McGurn, Diaco, Mayu, and, and Brett Brochu between the pipes. Those are four massive holes. I mean, that's three of the team's top four scorers gone and their starting netminder. But one thing we always know and we, we should be expecting from London is well, one guy's gone, but the, that means there's one or two guys ready to step up and take on a much bigger role. Who are those guys this year that suddenly elevate themselves from, you know, second or third line guys to now being on the top line or the second line? I think Haltonen comes in and is one of those guys. And last year, Easton Cowan, who is a first-round pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs, just mm -hmm. recently signed his entry-level contract. And Denver Barkey, who's a third-round pick of the Philadelphia Flyers, they had played with Ryan Winterton. And if they can find a mix that puts those two with a player that has those two-way skills of Ryan Winterton and some of the things that he did, that line was awfully difficult to deal with in the playoffs. And so I think that could be one of those lines. And if it's Haltonen who winds up on that line, it's really difficult to contain this year. And yeah, you're right. Teams try and look further into the future than the year that they're playing in junior hockey. And the Knights had a couple of players who didn't really play much in the OHL last year that will come up and fill some roles as other guys step up in the organization. But I'm excited to see both of them, and both of them are players who we could see called at the NHL entry draft. One is Sam O'Reilly, and Sam O'Reilly, when he was drafted as a 16-year-old, said, I want to play this game physically. I want to make sure I can score. He's a guy that pays a lot of attention to what Tom Wilson does on the ice, and he had really grown, if you look at the beginning of the year to the end of the year, really grown in stature. He's somebody who has a nose for the net. And then Will Nickel was a GOJHL Rookie of the Year, and that's a, a Junior B circuit in the, in the Ontario area. And he just he had absolutely a, every award imaginable coming his way at the, at the end of the year. And he's somebody who will come in as a forward. So as much as, yeah, you graduate some pretty special players, at the same time you have those other players who will now get a bigger opportunity. Logan Mayhew is a guy you, you can't replace in terms of what he did on and off the ice, but you bring back six defensemen, so six, and then they're adding in P.J. Fagan, who will come in as a 16-year-old. So it is that, that course that the Knights try and maintain where, yeah, they've got players playing, and then you've got other players who 
maybe aren't playing the bigger roles. Dale Hunter always wants to make sure you're ready for every situation. He's not going to put you into a situation if you aren't ready just yet. And so Dale Hunter is somebody who wants to make sure everybody is, uh, is you know, in a place to succeed. And that's been one of the secrets of this team. Preseason projections for a guy like Sam Dickinson are through the roof already. I mean, he's being talked about as a top 10, maybe even top five guy for the NHL draft uh, next summer. He's going into year two. How good was he in year one? And, and what is that set up for him in year two? What are your expectations for Sam Dickinson? Well, that old term, the sky's the limit. I mean, it applies. And when you look at exactly what we were talking about, that Dale Hunter doesn't put you into a position where you're not going to succeed. If you look back to the start of the year, Sam Dickinson starting the season was certainly somebody that wasn't going out and and getting as much ice time as he was at the end. And then all of a sudden it's, well, let's see if he can do this. And then it's, oh, not only can he do that, he excels at that. Hmm. Oh, well, let's see if he can do this. Oh, look, he excels at that too. And in the playoffs, he was playing big minutes for the Knights as a 16-year-old. He's somebody that doesn't look 16. He had a tremendous tournament at the Holinka Gretzky Cup in helping Canada to win gold. And it wasn't because he was producing an awful lot of offense. But when he was on the ice, other teams eventually, even though it was kind of, as you saw, a score fest really to to begin things in that tournament, everybody seemed to be putting the puck in the net Mm -hmm. when it mattered. Canada was keeping the puck out of the net, and Dickinson was a big part of that. Uh, I'm a Flyers guy, so I have to ask you about, uh, well, Denver Barkey for sure, but Oliver Bonk as well. I mean, a first-round pick. I don't know much about him. I didn't see a whole lot of the Knights played last year, but, uh, I mean, a first-round pick, This there's got to be a lot of uh, potential in that package, and you get to see the Knights more than anybody else. Well, Oliver Bonk came in last year playing in his first full season in the OHL, and the question was, was he going to have better hair than his dad? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what you wanted to see. Radek Bonk had such great hockey hair. And, you know, it, it was by the end of the year, is this guy going to make the impact that his dad did in the National Hockey League? Because that's a possibility, too. And he's somebody that is such a steady defenseman. And again, you're not going to see necessarily a whole bunch of points piled up, but he's someone that when he has an opportunity to shut you down, he's going to do that. And so he's somebody that that has an opportunity to be pretty special. And this year, I think you're going to see the Knights being a team, you know, that makes it tough to to score on them and and makes it difficult for opponents to do that. And he's going to be a big part of that. As for Denver Barkey, he's he's an electric guy. But you know what's really neat about Denver Barkey? He came in and had this ability to create offense. And you're never going to lose that. I mean, he just has this innate ability to know where to go, to know what to do, to know where their players are. But you look at what he focused on. It was the defensive side of the game. And now he's in positions that maybe he's never played in his life because he was always that go-to offensive guy. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's full of skill. But now he's out there, and and he's somebody that is defensively responsible. You know, you, you don't have to worry about that side of things. Just dog it on the back check. And so he's somebody that the Flyers may look at in years from now and say, uh, we got a steal on that guy in the third round. So you should you should be happy. It'll uh, it'll shape up okay from 
some London Knights blood being added to that Flyers organization. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I might have to tune into a, a few more Knights games this year than normal now. Uh, you've, you've got me sold on that. Um, I, I got to ask you about the, the goaltending situation. We mentioned Brochu gone, uh, but that was the situation in the playoffs. And, I mean, it's a remarkable story. Take our listeners back who weren't aware. Brett Brochu goes down to injury, and it looks like from the outside looking in, uh-oh, that's trouble for the Knights. But as you said, everybody else stepped up. How did they get it done, and who really rose to the occasion? Well, I mean, it was it was a difficult spot in that you had a rookie in behind Brett Brochu and Zach Bowen. But if you look back through the year, this guy put together 15 consecutive wins as a rookie. It was one shy of Matthew Vallalta, who's now in the Kings organization, when he played with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. He had 16 wins in a row. So 15 wins in a row. And it wasn't like, oh, well, the Knights had this, you know, 22-game winning streak and he happened to play 15 of those games. No, the Knights weren't winning sometimes when he wasn't in the net. And he came in in a series against the Sarnia Sting. The Knights and the Sting are at the end of Highway 402. One is at one end, one's at the other. They are the closest geographical rivals for each other. And Guy... They had gone from 1999 until last season without playing each other in the playoffs. If you looked at playoff series, the London Knights had played some other opponents seven times in that span. They had not hooked up with the Sarnia Sting, and the two wound up going head-to-head in the conference championship series. And that's where Brett Brochu got hurt. So this had, and Sting had loaded up last year. They could have been a team that saw themselves in the Memorial Cup. They were ready for that. And now the Knights' number one goaltender goes down. Zach Bowen came in and was tremendous and showed the kind of goaltender that he can be. And then ultimately Peterborough outlasted the Knights in the championship series. But I think we got a really good glimpse of what Zach Bowen can do both in the regular season and in the playoffs. So he's a guy that looks to take over the number one spot for the Knights. And then they've got a rookie goaltender who went all the way to the OHL cup, which is kind of, you know, the marquee event for draft eligible players in Ontario. And he took his team all the way to the final. And so now they have an opportunity to see how Alexi Medvedev does as a 16 year old. And they've got high expectations and, uh, and certainly high hopes for what he can do in that. Mike Stubbs is the voice of the uh, London Knights out of the Ontario Hockey League, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on a couple of uh, things uh, outside of uh, the Knights uh, market, but still OHL-related. I'm going to start with uh, David Branch, who is hanging him up after this year. He's been the commissioner of the OHL, and for a lot of that, the CHL commissioner as well, for how long now? Like 40 years, something like that? It sounds impossible, Guy, but no. You're right. I mean, it it has been decade after decade after decade. And David Branch leaves such a legacy because when we rewind back to the beginning and we look at where major junior hockey was, it was not being broadcast nationally. It was not looked at in the same way that it is now. We did not see the number of teams that we do now. Uh, The academic packages that are available to players, uh, the way that fighting has diminished in the game, the way the game has been made safer for teenage players playing major junior hockey. The impact is absolutely everywhere. And in Ontario, 
And like you mentioned, largely across the CHL, so much of that traces right back to David Branch. So he is going to be sorely missed. And uh, I hope he still, you know, goes to games and, uh, and is recognized and thanked for what he has done because he's been a tremendous part in growing everything that everybody who loves major junior hockey loves about the game. A lot of positives uh, for sure under his tenure. Have to mention there's also been some controversies and scandals and things like that and, and negative headlines. Jill uh, Corteau left. Uh, Ron Robison in the WHL is leaving after this year as well, and David Branch. Coincidence, all three of these guys are leaving basically at the same time, in your opinion? I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope that that is just simply a coincidence. Uh, I hope there's not anything more that uh, that winds up being any part of any story. I don't think so. There's nothing that I've heard. But I think all of them have had those long tenures, and all of them kind of came in you know, at similar points in their life, David Branch obviously has been there longer than uh, than Jill has or than Ron Robinson has. But I think it, it's just one of those things that is happening. And now we hope that, you know, the new management, the new leadership that takes over can continue to grow this game and can continue to keep it as the best developmental hockey league in the world. And lastly, you mentioned uh, fighting. And uh, in the queue, they've, they've really gone about, trying to make it uh, or ban it as much as you possibly can. There's going to be suspensions after fights now. Uh, in my personal opinion, hey, player safety, that's that's paramount. If it's going to help in that regard, then I'm all for it. To me, fighting's been on the way out for a long time anyway, and it was pretty much weeding itself out. I mean, I've been you've been calling games for a long time. I've been in the broadcast booth for a long time now, too. Uh, I think fighting has gone down dramatically over the last 10 years, let alone 20. Uh, what are your thoughts on what the Q has decided to do, and do we see the OHL and the WHL follow suit? I, it's, it's strange, Gene. I don't know how you find it, but I find it strange that all three leagues are, are all a little bit different yep. in terms of the punishments and, and how this is being dealt with because so often we see them mirror each other. I think we've seen the decrease in the Ontario Hockey League for sure. There is essentially a fight minimum where if you go over that, yes, you face suspension, but is it possible to fight in a game? Yes, and that's sort of what the Quebec League has has taken out with the way that their rules work. So it wouldn't surprise me if it evolved in that way. I don't, I don't think we're going in the other direction anytime soon because the game has changed. Yeah. You know, fighting isn't used in the same way. The first training camp I ever attended – there was a fight before there was a handling of the puck. You know, the, that, that's just the way that it was. The puck dropped, and there were guys who were going to prove, hey, I may not be able to make this team with my skill, but I'm going to find a way to make it. And that's the way that it worked. And now, no, everybody comes in with that high level of skill. Everybody can skate. Everybody can play. And then, you know, beyond that, there are different elements to add. But I think we've got a situation where, yeah, this is – this is really ahead of maybe where the National Hockey League is, but I think everything is headed in that direction where you can say it's easier to police things. And I used to firmly believe that. I mean, I used to sit back and say, hey, there's, there's a code on the ice and you've got to be able to say to somebody, you can't do that to my guy, and this was the way to do it. And I think there, there's just a, a little change in the way that that mentality has gone over the years where – you know, you're not out to do the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And I almost look at something that Dale Hunter will do in games where, you know, if a, if a game is 6-1 and the London Knights are winning, 
he's not going to put out his number one power play unit to try and make it seven to one necessarily. He's going to give other guys an opportunity and see how they do on the power play. But, but if whatever the offense is that put the opposition in the penalty box was egregious, right? Yeah, he's going to do it because that's the only way you can make people pay. And I really think that's where we are right now. That offense has come to a point where if you want to take a liberty with somebody, you're really risking putting your team in a difficult situation and the teammates police themselves in that way saying, look, we can't have a five minute major. You know, that's, that's going to tilt the game. How many times do you give up a five minute major and, you know, walk away with a game? You might scrape through it, or it might be the defining factor that causes you to lose the game. Right. So I think that's the way that we've gone. I think it's very healthy. And I think, sure, if this works in the Quebec league, I don't think it'll be too long before other leagues follow suit. Very good. Mike, when do uh, the Knights open camp? They will open camp the week of, and I'm trying to get the dates down. I know it'll end up being a Monday, but last Monday that has August associated with it because their first preseason game is on Labor Day. So we're counting it down, Gee, We're getting close. Awesome stuff. Mike, as always, I really appreciate your time. Enjoy the season. You too. Thanks for this. Hey, there's Mike Stubbs, the voice of the London Knights out of the Ontario Hockey League. If you've ever seen uh, Mike uh, during games, he's putting up uh, highlights on Twitter. Uh, and you'll know it's Mike because he's wearing a GoPro while he's uh, calling games and he's able to upload those clips after goals and stuff. It's very unique. Uh, Mike does a great job calling hockey games. And those London Knights, man, they are looking like they're going to be another powerful club again this year. One of the flagship franchises in the entire Canadian Hockey League uh, are those London Knights. Love them or hate them you got to respect what the Hunters have done with that franchise since they took it over. All right, we've got one more segment to go in this uh, Season 19 debut, and it's a good one. Joining me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline is veteran broadcaster Pete Labardius. Lou is pretty fired up. Why? Well, we'll get to that next here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Back to the blue line, Wilm in the middle, broken up by Zemer. Look out, Cohen Zemer, breakaway to Hyde to Zemer. Hat trick! Cohen Zemer, 3 1. This is Cohen Zemer with Prince George Cougars, and this is the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey everybody, an old man's talking. 
Last segment to go on this week's debut episode of Season 19 here on the Pipeline Show. 19 years uh, since this show started back in 2006. Myself and Dean Millard and uh, on TSN 1260 in Edmonton. And, of course, just 100% podcast since uh, geez, about 2017, I think it was. Season 12 uh, when we went to the podcast. And uh, one of my favorite guests pretty much since we went to air. As long as he wasn't on a rival network, at least, and we were able to get him on the show. That's a longtime veteran uh, broadcaster, Pete Lavardius. Uh, Pete, welcome back to the program, my friend. How are you? Uh, you? You know what? It's just I had a lot of memories coming back when you talked about, first of all, 19 years. Yeah. Where does the time go? Because it really just, I remember how happy I was when you and Dean, you know, unveiled the show because I've just always felt that there was such a void and such an important need you know, to to tell those stories, to meet those people. So, you know, not to mention, I've always enjoyed the daylights out of, you know, talking about that level or those levels of hockey. So yeah, congratulations. I just, I think, I think that's awesome. And I think you've done an incredible job. I really do. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I always love having you on the program because there are very few people who have the passion for junior hockey, especially, but junior sport. In general, I know you're a big baseball and softball guy and, and other levels of hockey as well. Um, so I, I love having you on because I, I know you have that passion uh, as well. And over 19 years, I think you and I would both agree that the, the game itself has changed a lot. And I don't know if there's been a time where I've seen more change in junior hockey in North America than maybe over the last couple of years. Uh, right now, we've got the BCHL who's gone independent. Uh, we have uh, a team in Winnipeg who's now moved to Wenatchee in the United States. You got new junior leagues popping up in the United States. It's it really seems like there's a, a pretty big evolution of the sport in our uh, in our continent right now. Would you agree, Pete? Oh, I would agree, and it's something that, to be honest, I've spent a lot of time thinking about. And you know, in the last year or so, being a primarily major junior guy, which I you know have no bones about, it's been a huge part of my life and I love that level dearly but as you mentioned I love all levels of hockey and you know whether it's renegade leagues that are forming in minor hockey um, the game has changed a lot and I wouldn't say the word is worry but I do think the time has come for change and more collaboration and I have some very, very strong thoughts, to be honest, on the whole situation. Uh, I see it in some ways from both sides. And what I really want is, I don't think things change, Mr. Flaming, without a reason for some change. But what I don't like is I don't like how divisive the hockey world is becoming. Mm. And I truly believe that at some point in time, you know, with Hockey Canada being a major player in it, is I think the system needs a bit of an overhaul. And it troubles me from a kid's perspective, because I always wonder about certain things is, are we really most concerned about the opportunities and what's best for the young people that are playing the game. And I see a lot of division. Um, 
I understand in part why it is happening, but I, I, I think this thing's got a chance to be a bit of a runaway train. And I think in part, it already has become that. So that's, that's partly my take and you can direct it from there. Well, I know I have the new commissioner of the Q, uh, Mario Cicchini, scheduled right before the season starts. So I'm going to talk to him about it. But with Jill Courtois leaving now, he's already gone, and David Branch and, and Ron Robinson both leaving their commissioner roles at the end of this coming season, are they getting the sense that, all right, times are a-changing, and maybe it's time for us to go and uh, not be part of whatever the evolution of junior hockey is or the CHL? I, I mean, all of those guys... The leagues are better because of them and have gotten better during their tenure as commissioners, but it hasn't been without controversy. I mean, there's been lawsuits and things like that, too, and, and maybe their their time is up. Well, I can say that I've spent a considerable amount of time, certainly for the better part of eight or nine years, um, with all of those people. Um, you know, I have incredible respect for all of them. They helped to create some of the greatest moments and greatest times in my entire career. But I will say this, the sport has changed immensely Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're not young people anymore. They have given their complete heart and souls to build those three leagues. And, you know, David, obviously before Dan McKenzie came in at a very difficult time, um, you know, they've given everything to major junior hockey. And, and I think, you know, you, those three gentlemen, along with, to me, maybe the greatest of all time, and that's Ed Chenault, I'm not sure where we'd be without those four gentlemen in particular. So I think it's time. I do think the controversy, the lawsuits, the way the world has gone, I think it's taken a tremendous toll. Because I think it's taken a tremendous toll gee on anyone that came from a different era or a different time. Right. And I don't think there's any question about that. You know, are they all kind of moving on at the same time for the most part? Yes. And, and I do think that it has become very hard. I think it's become less enjoyable. And I also think it's probably, I can't speak for them. I can only speak for myself and the business that I've been in. I know it has become way less enjoyable to be in the business that I chose since social media came along. Mm. Um, You know, everything is scrutinized, every move. And frankly, in a lot of cases, everybody knows how to do everybody else's job better than people who have done it for a long time. And I think that does take a massive toll. And I also think that there comes a point in time as well where, you know, even for myself, where you have to understand that the consumer now is different. The audiences that you're trying to build are different. So a lot, a lot goes into it. And I'm very fascinated about where junior hockey in this country goes. Because I have, you know, this isn't probably the show for it. And I'm not sure when I'm going to unveil that stuff. But I have some real strong ideas on what I think needs to occur. I really do. Because I think it's time, I'll I'll say this as quick as only I can, which isn't quick. And that is, I see too many people working against one another in our country instead of towards a common goal. 
And one of the things I'm not a huge fan of, and it's not just my huge Canadiana thing, but why are we not working harder to create better situations for our kids to stay in Canada? Why in many ways are we so focused on helping the United States grow their programs? Specifically, who are you referring to or what programs are you talking about? Well, for a long time, at least when I grew up in a sense, tier one was tier one and tier two, which has become major junior and junior A. And, And frankly, the whole system is set up to compete against one another. I don't like that. I don't like that at all for all kinds of different reasons. And I think this stuff is going to continue until there is more of a true tiered system, which not only talks about the opportunities for hockey players, but also ties in Mr. Flaming market size. What can be done? What can't be done? And that's not going to happen overnight. It may never happen. But instead of being in different avenues and different arenas where it's one working against one another, I'd sure like to see, like, it, it does not make me very happy, frankly, in some ways, albeit I understand it, what the BC Hockey League is doing. I get it in part. I do. But I also get the other side. And I don't like the fact that, again, coming up this year at the World Junior A Challenge, just for an example, we're not going to have our best kids available. And I don't like it. And it's not what I like. It's for the kids. I don't like opportunities being taken away from them. And in certain cases, and I've had conversations with guys who went the Junior A route, some guys will only ever get one chance to put on their country's uniform. And maybe that doesn't mean anything anymore. I don't know. But I do think, in closing, that I think everybody at a certain point needs to get together and potentially look at more of a tiered system that really works, where we work together as a country and levels of junior hockey rather than against one another. Okay, I know one of the complaints the BCHL had was the lack of uh, ability to draw players from across the country. Is that something you think should be in place? Like players from Saskatchewan should stay in Saskatchewan? Or do you do you have an interest in seeing players uh, going across to play in other provinces freely? No, I, 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 I think that is just fine. But again, let's get to the reality of it. Let's get to the reality, frankly, of how many American players are in some of those junior A high-level programs. Hmm. So are you really trying to open the door to everyone? Or are you trying to open the door across our country? So what I would say is, I think the United States is a big enough country with enough levels and enough good options that I would be limiting in junior a the amount of u.s imports right i would because again i care more about that now that's not the bchl's mandate that's not anybody's mandate the whole point is what is the mandate so if everybody is working against one another trying to create the best possible league i get it i get where they're coming from 
So this is a big one, my friend. Yeah. And I'm, I listen, one of my biggest concerns in our country is that CIS hockey or U sports hockey is not looked at in a different way that it isn't seen by a lot of young junior players as a good option. And, and trust me, while I am a major junior guy in a lot of ways, I'm a hockey guy. I've gone to every level. I've gone to bean pots. I've gone to regional championships. I understand what it's like and the amount of money that big NCAA programs have. I get it. I know what it's like to spend a weekend at North Dakota or Minnesota or Wisconsin or at the bean pot. Mm -hmm. I get it. But frankly, and I'll never apologize for it, I care about one thing. I care about what two things. What's best for the kids? And if there aren't more good options for kids to stay in our country, then how do we get to a better place? That's what I care about. Well, I agree with you about U Sports uh, being so underrated and uh, underappreciated. And I don't know if it's just a mindset of university sports in Canada compared to how they feel about collegiate sports in the in the United States because it's I mean, it's huge. It is. It's huge it in is. the states and it's not here. No, it isn't. And it's and it's never going to be in part. But again, when it comes to what really gets out of line, ye for me, is how many kids, even that play junior hockey, regardless of what route, how many of them end up making a professional living doing it? Mm-hmm. So what are we really concerned about? And, and don't tell me that the education isn't as good at, as, at a lot of Canadian schools as, as it is in some of those U.S. programs. Okay. Sorry, I'm not buying. Now, is it a huge advantage? I have a, I have a stepdaughter going to DePaul University in comedy arts. I got a pretty good idea what it costs to send somebody to one of those programs. And fortunately, if she didn't have a pretty nice scholarship, she wouldn't be going. Hmm. But as a country, how do we start getting back to where we work together as opposed to my route is better, my route is better, making kids sometimes decide? And frankly, a big part of this is when the National Hockey League changed its draft age because everything filters down from there. Right. But anyway, that's, that's my soapbox. Um, probably now in a lot of trouble, don't really care. Um, (laughs) but what I do want is I do want it to be people sitting in a room at some point and really caring about the kids and what's best for the kids and what kind of opportunities they're either getting or missing out on. Well, I think one thing we can agree on is the having the scholarship package from the CHL leagues, the, the WHL scholarship package, having that brought in, I want to say, what, 20, 25 years ago, maybe? But it's, it's so improved and more and more players taking advantage of that. I mean, that's a huge positive for the players, isn't it? It's an incredible change. And I'm not sure anybody, anybody always really looks at it that way. Yeah. You know, if you decide, if you decide to go that route, you know, here's, here's what my feeling has always been, and it's really never changed. If you legitimately, you and your advisors, smart hockey people, agents, all of it, 
you want to play at the best level you can for your own progression in terms. So I've always felt, Guy, and it really hasn't changed much. I think there's different routes for everyone. Yeah. But if you're a high, if you're a high high end guy, I I still think you would have a tough time convincing me, to a certain extent, that major junior at the right time is not the place to be. But that's not for everybody either, because the 16 year old year in our country is the year that really needs to be looked at, in my opinion, because I think at times kids go to major junior and aren't quite ready. Yeah. Sometimes they are ready. And when they're ready, they should go, whether they're 15 or 16. But anyway, this is not for me to already have said what I've said. But the one thing I'll put my heart and soul on the line for is I want hockey to be great in this country. And I think change is needed. And I think we need to get better at working together. Uh, one change I think we've seen uh, really start, starting to evolve over the last 10, 15, 20 years is is fighting. I, it, I think it's been on the way out for a long time. Uh, there are a lot less fights in, in a season or in, in games where I'm in the broadcast booth at the junior level that I'm seeing with my own eyes. A lot less today than there was 10 years ago. Uh, the queue has taken it a step further to try to get it completely out of the game. There's going to be suspensions after single fights. Uh, I don't know that it was necessary, hey, player safety comes first. And if it's going to take care of that, I am 100% on board with that. But was it really necessary? I mean, it's on the way out anyway. Do you expect that the OHL and the dub will follow suit with the Q, though? Probably at a certain point, yeah. yeah. And the one thing, And the one thing I'd really like to see for the CHL moving forward is that, you know, Dan McKenzie's in a big situation, and so are the next potential commissioners of their league and that is how do you stay regional because we all know and that's part of the issue is that junior hockey is really regional in nature it really is but the first thing i'd like to see in the chl moving forward is that the rules are the same in all three leagues Mm. that's what i'd like to see and and there's i again i we could talk for seven days because i spent a lifetime thinking and caring about all this stuff, especially at the major junior level. Again, moving forward, how many things are done now based on the potential for criticism as opposed to what sells entertainment-wise and what do the consumer want? So do I think fighting is on its way out? Yes, I do. Does it really bother me personally? Not a ton. Because some of the best hockey I've ever seen in my life didn't require fighting. Right. What bothers me about hockey today is it has the greatest skill I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I did, I don't know, 27 games at the Brick, brick Hockey Tournament mm-hmm. for 10-year-olds. It is staggering how skilled kids are at the sport. Yeah. Staggering. I just called the women's U18 camp in St. Catharines last week. Staggering. Young women, young men. It's it's incredible. But what I think the sport has lost from an entertainment standpoint is I don't think it's always played with a lot of passion. Right. And I don't equate fighting with passion. 
I equate passion with passion. And I think a lot of reasons fighting has probably been reduced a little bit is because there isn't as much passion. But it's a different time. And the people who play the game are very different. I see a huge difference in the last 10 years. And it's not about hockey. It's about people. It's about a generation. Yeah. It's been about what, who they are, how they consume it, what matters to them. But the skill level, staggering. The entertainment level, I'm not sure it's what it used to be. You know, it's funny because I had Derek Laxdahl uh, on the show in the spring, uh, before the draft anyway, and uh, he's he's now in the OHL, but we knew him obviously from his time here with the uh, the Oil Kings, and he talked about that, just the, the mindset of players, even since he was in Edmonton back in 2014, has changed a lot. Uh, just the way they come to the rink, and they just have a different sort of expectation, not... Maybe not entitlement is the right word, although I think he might have used that word. Uh, but there's definitely a different mindset for this generation of players. There is. And in some ways, some of that, I think, was necessary. In other ways, I think what has gotten lost in team sports sometimes is team. And one of the reasons for all the separation is everybody's kind of looking for a fast route to the best place they can get to as quickly as they can. And I'll just say this, and I have no trouble saying it. In a lot of aspects, and not hockey, I'm talking about life. I'm talking about the broadcast business. I'm talking about the things that I actually know and observe. I see a lot of what can you do for me. I'm not seeing as much appreciation and respect about what can be done for others. Yeah, that's a problem for sure. Uh, hey, Pete, before I let you go, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the Winnipeg Ice uh, moving to Wenatchee. So the WHL loses a major market. Do you think we ever see a team back in, in Winnipeg again? And what went wrong? Uh, I don't know if anything necessarily went wrong. What I would say is part of where I think junior hockey is going, and frankly, uh, I'm not surprised, is... I think junior hockey very much is creating a connection with the community. And there was a point in time where things worked extremely well in big markets. I think that is changing. I think we've already seen evidence of that with what happened in Vancouver, moving into Langley. I think it's going to continue. And I think it has to continue because We live in a day and age now where, and you know where you live, that's in Edmonton. You know where I've spent a lot of time, Calgary. Junior hockey doesn't sell the same way in major markets anyway anymore because times are different. So I think it's really important to, again, think about the market size, think about the ability to connect, think about, you know, arena size. I don't think anything was necessarily done wrong. I just think the longer we go, I see junior markets being more in the five to 6,000 seat in certain styles of communities where they can actually be the number one hockey game in town as opposed to moving it into bigger centers, which was good, worked really well in a lot of ways. But I think, 
listen, I can only, you know, if, if you're in Calgary, the majority of people, they don't even care about the Stampeders, let alone, you know, the Hitmen or other teams. It's about the Flames. Yep. Is there any game in town that compares to the Oilers? Nope. You're right. I mean, we talk about, oh, it's ho- it's Canada. It's a hockey-crazy nation. And Edmonton, Calgary, they're hockey cities. They're not. They're NHL cities. Everything else is a distant, distant second, third, fifth. Yeah, it is. It is. And so kids growing up, like myself, because they can watch anything, and frankly, they don't even watch that much anymore because we live in this highlight world Mm. off of our phones where it is so hard to get connection. You know, when I grew up in Saskatoon, my first love, and I love the NHL, I love all levels of hockey to this day. Just follow where I go to know on a night-to-night basis how yeah. much I care and love the sport. Yeah, I live it. I don't just talk about it. I live it. But, but that's part of what's been lost. So a lot of things go back into certain cycles, and I think we're going to have to go back a little before, again, we come forward again. Because we live in a day and age now where where the money is and where the stars are is where people want to go. And I don't think they have the same kind of appreciation for how we get there. So whether it's this great show or certainly things I'm going to continue to be involved in, I think it's really important for people to continue to try to sell and understand that the NHL does not happen without the journey. And the journey matters, and so does what goes on in your backyard. Whether it's how we spend our money, whether it's what we invest in. So there is room for all of it. I just think we have to think it a little different, do it a little different, and have different expectations than maybe we did before. Pete, I uh, half-jokingly on Twitter uh, suggested that you, you should be the next WHL commissioner. Uh, I said half-jokingly because I'm half-serious. I think you'd be uh, terrific in that role. Is something like that something you'd be interested in? You know, I would love at a certain point in time to certainly, you know, be on a board. I don't think I'm ready to to lead the way, but I sure would love to be in a position at some point to you know, share these kind of things and probably have a lot of people go, are you nuts? <laughs> but but the one thing no one will ever say is that I don't care yeah. and I haven't dedicated a great part of my life. And every time we talk, I don't just throw my arms in the air. I'm going to come up with some things that, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to, before I'm done, be in the hockey business in an influential place, especially you know, in junior hockey somewhere, because I love it, I believe in it, and I want it to be better at all levels. Well, you got my vote. Uh, Pete, before I let you go, where can... Well, I appreciate it. Well, where do people uh, follow you this season? What are you doing? You're, you've stepped back from your uh, your old Flames gig, so what what's on your agenda yeah, now? Yeah, I did. Well, I'm still sorting certain things out. Um, I've done a lot of work at with HN Live, mm-hmm. hnlive.ca, doing a lot of amateur sports. Um, I'm going to have some, I don't know about announcements, but trying to tie some loose ends together. And I, I've gotten a lot of fire back by going back to my roots and calling, whether it's U15, 
everybody knows how much I love anything Hockey Canada or Canada anything. Mm -hmm. And I plan to devote a great deal of my life trying to help and grow the things that I'm most passionate about. So you can find me at Lubardius Media on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, stay tuned because there will be more stuff coming down the pipe in the near future in terms of my direction. Fantastic. And they can hear you more often uh, on this show as well. I promise to get you on more than I have been. That's my fault for uh, not calling you as much as I should. It's all good, my friend. It's 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 a pleasure. And most of the time I get off the air and go, what the hell did I just say all that for? <laughs> That's all right. Pete, I really appreciate it, man. Uh, enjoy the season, whatever seasons you're covering, because you cover them all. Thanks for this, man. Anytime, be well, and congratulations on year number 19. Are you kidding me? Pete Labardius and a fired up Peter Labardius. I love to have Lou on the show because he's always bringing the heat. And call me crazy, I, th- I think he'd be a perfect candidate to be a WHL commissioner one day. Like he said, maybe he's not ready right now, but I think he'd be terrific. Do you agree? Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. You can always find me on Twitter or X, whatever the heck it's called now, at TPS underscore Gee. It's going to do it for this week's episode. If you're not a patron yet, check out patreon.com slash the pipeline show early access for every interview that you hear on a full episode. They've been available for a day or two, sometimes longer for patrons exclusively for patrons costs a couple of bucks a month us, but you can subscribe on an annual basis and you get a discount, a 10% discount off of that. And if you're a business owner or you have something you want to promote, advertise, you can also do it through Patreon and get that extra 10% discount as well from that. Next week on the program, will we get into the WHL team-by-team previews. The next four weeks, we're going to be doing that. So you're going to get your WHL fix, that's for sure. Five teams will be previewed next week. Going to be chatting with the play-by-play guy for all five teams. In fact, all 22 teams that will be their play-by-play guy. As far as I know, there might be... A couple of instances, which I won't talk about yet, where it won't be the play-by-play guy, but it'll be somebody else from the organization. But I can tell you right now, the five teams that will be on next week will be the Red Deer Rebels, so that'll be Troy Gillard, the Regina Pats, that means Dante DeCaria, Casey Bryant will preview the Everett Silvertips for us, Cole Waldy is the voice of the Prince George Cougars, and in Spokane, it is Mike Boyle. So those will be the five teams next week as we uh, kick off the season previews for the Western Hockey League. Until then, enjoy what's left of summer because right around the corner, camps are opening, hockey season is underway, and you know we'll be talking about it all season long right here on the Pipeline Show. It's season 19. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Until next week, everybody, my name's Keith Flaming. See ya!